Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello there. Folks, it's been a while. Since I heard you. Love that song. Hold my head up high. You know Stain does have a new album coming out, right? No, I didn't. Yes. Ooh. I already got it pre-ordered. I what, love Stain. What, I'll say between them and uh, Diddy, what year is this? I know. It's it's the it's the best throwback to the 2000s ever, but I'm here for it. And this is almost like a throwback, too, because it's been a while since we have done an entertainment edition of the podcast. And there are reasons for it. And over the past couple weeks, there has been a change in developments. So the only thing that you, the audience, needs to know is my status and what I had to kind of adhere to. Uh, things have changed there. Mm-hmm. So that we are now considered by the proper um, authorities. Thank you. Uh, aficionados, if you will, of just being a news site. We uh, can be a little more free on what we want to cover and talk about here on the podcast concerning movies, TV, and comics. Mm -hmm. So what that means for you is it's back to business if we decide to do a show. And, you know, there was an event that happened this week that definitely brought us uh, out of hiding, so to speak, Uh if if you will say. Um, So we're happy to get back in talking some movies, TV, and comics. But more importantly, an event that happened this week that has been generating so much buzz as a news outlet, we have to cover it. Mm Mm-hmm. So before we get into that, though, Pad, if they want to find out what's going on with the ODPH, where do they head on over to? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. Swing on over to the website. Check out the social media links. Check out the T Public store link because there's a sale going on at the end of this week. You definitely want to go get some ODPH swag when it's on sale. I tell everybody all the time, like, I appreciate paying full price, but, you know, seriously, go get it on sale. i just happy to see it out in the wild. Also, check out the Patreon link. Shout out to all our amazing patrons. One tier, $2 a month. Check out the blog section. We're always dropping reviews, especially for New Comic Book Day. We've got a lot of stuff there, too. Speaking of New Comic Book Day, you definitely want to make sure you head on over to Nerd Initiative, and you can find them on the directory, along with 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, and so many more. The music section, where you can hear all the great bands that support us here at the ODPH and 607 Podcast in general. Basically, if it's anything and everything, it is the ODPH. You can find it at odphpodcast.com, and always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show, Pad, there was one program that hit this week mm-hmm. that you were like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. And it was one that we said, if we're going to come back and do this uh, with everything going on, this was going to be the reason why. And what is that? Uh, that would be the latest episode in the new Star Wars TV series, Ahsoka. Yes. The long-awaited... Star Wars spinoff on Disney Plus starring Rosario Dawson as the title character of Ahsoka Tano Mm -hmm. and picking up and basically, let's be honest, this is Rebels live action season six, season five or six. Yeah. So the hype behind this show has been there since the Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. 
The fan base has been excited about this. Well, and especially just given what the story is about, fans have been waiting for since Rebels ended like five, four, five, six years ago, whatever, mm-hmm. like whatever it is, because Rebel, for those of you who haven't seen it, Rebels ended on a big cliffhanger. Like it's this nice resolution to the story overall, but there's this one little thread in Rebels that's like, what the hell happened? Yes. And as of recording, we still don't know. Right. They're keeping everything very close to the vest, and we have an idea what's going on in in connection with that, but the overall story, let's do it spoiler-free style, Pad. What has the series been thus far to you? The series thus far has been some of the best storytelling in Star Wars thus far. Listen, no disrespect to Andor and Obi-Wan and Mandalorian and Boba Fett. But just this whole series, you know, every episode, it is eight episodes. Every episode's written by Dave Filoni. I have said for years, mm-hmm. since the time of Clone Wars, since the time of Rebels, that Dave Filoni is the best storyteller in Star Wars, period. Right. Learn from the foot of George Lucas himself, because when Filoni was, you know, working on Clone Wars, George Lucas was involved with Clone Wars. A lot of the decisions that were made in Clone Wars, Dave had his hand in, but George had an equal hand in there working with him. So he learned from the master. He learned from himself. Now the apprentice has become the master. This series has been phenomenal. It's had me on the edge of my seat the last two episodes. It's been awesome to see some of these characters on screen and live action that I've been watching on my television for 10, 15 years, you know, however long it's been. Mm-hmm. And it's been just so amazing. And it's and it's honestly gotten me kind of like wanting to re-read Star Wars books and get into all this stuff. Because like I still read them, I still consume them, but just not at the pace I had. Right. Just because I'm like, yeah, you know, I've been reading it for so long, I want to take a step back. I want to read some other stuff, listen to some other audiobooks, you know, whatever I have time for. But these last two episodes have got me going, all right, you know, when's my paycheck hitting this week? Because, <laughs> because I want to go pick up, you know, from a certain point of view or, or one of the new Star Wars books because this has reignited my fire. And it definitely has given the fans hope, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. But obviously, when you try translating animation to live action, it is the definition of hit or miss. Yes. It can go very good or it can go very, very bad. Yeah. And especially with the Star Wars universe that they have built here on Disney+, Plus, it's been a hit in my eyes. I know the Book of Boba Fett is very polarizing amongst fans. I thought it was good. I mean, did I think it was the greatest thing I've ever seen? No. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I, I hope they do another season at some point. But for where the Mandalorian set the precedent for the live-action phase, if you will, of the Star Wars universe, expectations have been through the roof. Mm-hmm. And with this show, and with Dave Filoni attached to it, and if you're a longtime listener in the show, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out this long, Pat has been screaming his praises since day one. Mm-hmm. And... Ahsoka has been his character. Yeah. And he has been very, very hands on with this project. This is a character that, like, if you have the ability, look up some of the articles that were written before the Clone Wars film came out, mm-hmm. where it was announced that Anakin had an, was going to get an apprentice, which at that point had never been heard of, never been done. Even when you go back to the old expanded universe books and comics and video games and everything else. Never had an apprentice. All of a sudden, holy shit, you know, the the chosen ones got an apprentice. What does this mean? I remember vividly reading in an article one day. I can't remember what the publication was. I want to say it might have been USA Today. Mm -hmm. But they were writing an article about 
the movie coming out and how the, all this is the first movie in a couple of years, you know, it's, it's animated. Anakin's got an apprentice. And then they brought up a love triangle. And what does it mean for Ahsoka to be another female to be in Anakin's life when he's supposed to be in love with Padme? And I remember reading this going, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Like, this doesn't make any sense. And and especially you look at some of the fan feedback online when the show started. A lot of people weren't a fan of her. They're like, yeah, you know, she's kind of whiny. She's kind of, you know, obnoxious. She's a kid at the start of Clone Wars, in case you couldn't tell. You know, but to see where it went from at the start of Clone Wars to the end where it's, oh, my God, is she going to survive? Mm-hmm. Because as Clone Wars got closer and closer to the end, they got closer and closer to Order 66. And we all know what happens with Order 66 in Star Wars. Uh-huh. So it's, it became a question of, well, we don't see her in Revenge of the Sith, and we never hear her mentioned in the original trilogy or any of the stuff that's come out. What does this mean? And it, it's been awesome just to see the growth and the level of fandom grow for the character. No, uh, due in no small part to you know Dave and the writers, but also Ashley Eckstein, who voiced the character. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. So now we're at the live-action stage. And let's just do a quick synopsis of mm-hmm. how the episodes have been now one through four. Yeah. Uh, so the first four episodes have really been this kind of like mystery treasure hunt where, you know, the name of Thrawn is getting whispered again. And, mm-hmm. and he's a uh, general admiral. He's in the Imperial Navy. Uh, brilliant tactician. Or Yeah, he's an admiral. Grand admiral. Mm-hmm. Grand admiral. Duh. Uh, you know, he was in the Imperial Navy, brilliant tactician, knew what you were doing four steps before you decided what you were going to do, you know, and was always seen as, as the book so eloquently put it, you know, way back in the 90s, he was the heir to the Empire. Mm-hmm. But with the way events went in Rebels, and I'd say spoiler alert, but while well, they've kind of covered it in the show at this point, uh, he disappeared. You know, he disappeared right at, you know, kind of right when uh, between Rogue One and when. Uh, a New Hope was taking place, and he kind of disappeared. That kind of hurt the Empire a little bit. You know, so it, it's been a case of, well, his name's getting mentioned because they think he's still alive. And it's a matter of, well, we, they've got an idea where he is. And you've got this group of uh, former Imperials, Balin Skull, who's a former Jedi, you know, now is a mercenary with his apprentice, uh, Shin Hati, I believe is how you pronounce the mm-hmm. name, who's, who rescues a, you know, former Imperial... Night sister and former Imperials, she might be a night sister, not really clear at this point who, uh, but a woman by the name of Morgan Elsbeth. Uh, and they go on a journey of like, okay, well, we got to get this piece to locate where Thrawn is. And, and so they track down where it is, which leads them to the character Sabine. Now, Sabine was a part of Rebels and was a, a crucial part of like the kind of budding early days of the Rebel Alliance before they became what you saw them, you know, by Return of the Jedi. You know, she is on, you know, she's on a planet, you know, Ezra's home planet. The name escapes me at the moment. I apologize. Um, But, you know, she's there and she's kind of tinkering with the thing because it comes into her hands via Ahsoka. Ahsoka's got it. She's like, hey, I need to figure out how to crack this. You're pretty good at cracking things. Why don't you crack this? Uh, So they crack, they have, Sabine eventually cracks open, you know, the little mystery, cute mystery orb. and, And it kind of starts telling her. Oh, then you got to go here. You got to go there. You got to go here. It's like a space map. Space map, essentially. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Treasure Planet, it's a similar to that, similar mm. to that kind of deal. Good call. Um, so, but before she can see where it is, you know, she gets attacked and the the device gets taken. So then it becomes an, okay. Well, we need this thing because this is going to lead us to Ezra. Ezra's been missing. He's a family member of ours. You know, not actually blood family, but you know, close enough that they consider him family. 
uh, you know, it's going to lead us to him. We got to find him. And hey, they're also going to find Thrawn and bring him back and start another war, which at this point is the absolute last thing we need. So they go on a journey to find him. You, then you introduce Harrison Dula, which was another character from the TV show Rebels, um, and her son Jane, uh, Jason, which is who uh, he's a force sensitive child because his father, Kanan Jarrus, passed away during Rebels. But she's been raising him ever since. And it's, hey, she wants to go on this mission to like help find this and figure out what's going on. But the New Republic is like, mm, yeah, no, we, we really don't have time for this. And, and you really start to see, for those of you who are wondering, like, how could the Empire come back and take over by the time of The Force Awakens? Yeah, this kind of shows that, like, between the, the, first, the, I think it was like the second episode, especially where they uh, they go to inspect the, it was first or second episode, where they go to inspect the, like, factory mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's like, basically, like, half the people there are like, yeah, long live the Empire. And it's like, yeah. That's how, like, you, they know that there are people in the government, and they, they even admit it as much. There are still people in government that are loyal to the Empire, but we don't have enough people to fill those positions, so we're willing to turn a blind eye and look the other way. You know, which, yeah, good luck with that. Lauren. I have so many feelings about that, it's not even funny. Uh-huh. Uh, so then Ahsoka reunites with uh, Sabine and also Hu Yang, uh, who is a droid voiced by the one, the only... David Tennant, no, uh, who first was first introduced during the Clone Wars television series. He was a droid that accompanied all of the younglings uh, to Ilum, uh, which was the planet where they got the kyber crystals to make their lightsabers. And he would like take them. He'd go with them on this journey. They'd go collect their crystals. Then he'd be like, all right, hey, time to uh, build your lightsaber, which if you've ever done the experience down in Disney in Orlando, uh, it's the same type of deal, okay. you know, where they help you build the lightsaber. So wasn't sure what happened to him in Clone Wars. Somehow he survived, uh, but he is now out helping Ahsoka. Uh, and they basically then start to track down. All right, well, we got to find these folks because they're building something. Something's going on and we need to find them and stop them. Because what we find out is they're building a giant hyperspace ring mm-hmm. called the Eye of Scion, which, hey, fun fact, they named it after an ancient Sith Lord from uh, old canon. So they brought that name. Interesting. Yeah, I did they, not know that. Yeah, yeah, if you ever get the time, if you ever get the time and you're bored, look up Darth Scion online. Uh, the dude technically died, but he held himself together through sheer force of will. Jeez. And hate. So <laughs> it's a hell of a dude. Reasons. Yeah, no, reasons. Uh, but so they, they're building a giant... Uh, hyperspace ring because hey surprise surprise the galaxy star wars is in is not the only galaxy in the universe Hmm. that there's more than one galaxy which is a totally new and unique concept to star wars at least from what i remember never been done and they come to find out they go to this planet you know with balin and uh, shin hati and ahsoka and sabine where they've found they they get a hold of the device and they go oh that's where he is. It's in this other universe. So then, oh, hey, conveniently enough, we we had a hunch about that. So they, they're building this giant uh, hyperspace ring to tr- that can, because normal hyperspace, they can't get from one galaxy to the other. Right. Because at this point, they, they didn't know the other galaxies were a thing. So, but this, this giant hyperspace ring helps with that. So they then figure, oh, hey, this is where he is, which leads to a battle between, you know, Balin and Ahsoka and then Shin and Sabine. Sabine is, they like to say not force sensitive, but if you've seen Rebels, there's a clip floating around. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to question that. There's a a clip from Rebels floating around about where Kanan talks about Sabine and her potential force abilities. And Mm. that's all I'm going to leave it at because I don't want to spoil anything. Um you know, so it's a battle between them. 
Ahsoka gets knocked out and dropped over the edge of a cliff. Meanwhile, Sabine, you know, gets kind of tempted, I guess you could say a little bit with like, hey, listen, I'm not going to lie to you like your master did. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to help you find your buddy Ezra just to find your buddy Ezra. We need that device that's in here because she's going to blast it. And she's like, hey, let her go or I'll, or I'll destroy this. Right. And he goes, hey, listen, puts away his lightsaber and goes, hey, no worries. Like, I will not lie to you. I will take you to find your friend Ezra. No, no hooks, no strings, no. You know, not going to pull the wool over your eyes, and, but all you need to do is you just need to trust me and you need to give me this device. And mm. she she gives in. She gives him the device. They locate it. Hera shows up in the nick of time to try and save them, uh, although she doesn't have the approval of, I guess, the governing council of the New Republic. I don't know if they've got an actual name. We, we do get to see uh, Mon Mothma, of course, reprising the role as Genevieve O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. Uh, deleted scenes from Return of Revenge of the Sith was in Rogue One, also Andor. Uh, but now we find out, hey, she got a little bit of a title upgrade. She got a little bit of a promotion because she's now Chancellor of the New Republic. Uh, so we do get to see her because she initially doesn't uh, endorse or condone the, the plan for uh, Hera to go help Sabine and help ahsoka but hera being hera she's space mom she mm. she gives no you know what's and goes, yeah. yeah we're doing this anyway so she shows up in the nick of time they're not able to prevent it though because the hyperspace ring does take off leading off into the distance meanwhile we do find out what happened to ahsoka no she's not dead she got knocked over the cliff she's knocked out but she then ends up in the world between worlds which we saw in rebels and then we get to see a familiar face returning to Star Wars yet again. Uh, that would be Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker and says the line that I said, if he says this during this, this show, mm-hmm. I'm going to scream. Yep. And he did. Hello, Snips. And that was where the episode four ended. Yeah. So this series has been hitting on all cylinders thus far. Uh-huh. And episode four entitled Fallen Jedi, that is the one that really got a lot of pop culture talking. That was the one I knew that like I'd watched it and I know you don't usually watch it the night it comes out. You usually watch it the next day just right. as a habit. But I messaged you that I'm like, you don't want to wait on this because this it like given how it ended, I'm like, this isn't going to stay spoiler free for long. I'm, like I'm talking like Luke Skywalker in Mandalorian levels of this is going to get spoiled. Yeah, no, I threw my phone down and immediately turned it on. Like when, when Pat gives a call like that, little peek behind the curtain. That means go watch it right now. Mm-hmm. So I immediately did, too, and I, I messaged you right after I was done. I was like, okay, ah, uh, yeah, I can understand why. Mm-hmm. And this has been buzzing amongst pop culture fans the entire week. Hayden Christensen is back, and we had an idea being relatively familiar with the Star Wars universe. Right. This was going to happen. But when pop culture got a hold of this, mm-hmm. this is where it took off to a whole different level, that it's weird to say, but this was an event for the episode five, which we're going to be talking about entitled Shadow Warrior, mm-hmm. that it had a certain vibe to it that we haven't seen in a long time. They showed this episode in select movie theaters. Right. Which I've never heard of them doing for anything not Star Wars movie related. Exactly. Like, it kind of transcended just being another episode. Mm-hmm. And it really had this feel of, like, an event. Yeah. And it... it it's weird if you're not familiar with the Star Wars universe to see this. Like I say, I am versed. I'm not as versed as Pad, though. I'll be the first one to tell you that. Right. But it was something that the buzz talking with other fans and talking about everything. Honestly, I was talking about this episode during the NFL games this mm-hmm. week. 
people were hitting me up and saying, like, are you are you getting ready to watch this on Tuesday? I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, I took it as, like, yeah, this is going to be a big episode. Yeah. I did not realize how big yeah. this was yeah. until we got here. Mm-hmm. And then Tuesday night hit, the episode came out, and that's when Pat and I made the call, like, we have to talk about this on mm-hmm. the show. So what we're going to do is give you our spoiler-free statement about Part 5 entitled Shadow Warrior. We are not going to give you any spoilers. We are just going to give you our basic reaction thoughts on this. So nothing is going to get spoiled. However, we do do a countdown to give you fair warning. Pat puts the timestamps in the episode. There is no way we spoil this for you. So you have been fair warned wherever you're listening to us in the world. That's the point to jump out if you haven't seen the episode and don't want to be ruined. If you have seen it and you want to keep going on that conversation, by all means, jump on board. But we, after the countdown, that's where we tell you it's game on. So that said, Pat, give me your spoiler-free statement on Shadow Warrior. This was the best episode of Star Wars programming in a long time. This was, you know, 12 out of 10. This was nine stars. It was written and directed by Dave Filoni. This just further cemented to me that he is the best storyteller they have Bar none. It's nothing against John Favreau. It's nothing against, you know, anybody else who's working on Star Wars these days or writing the episodes or writing the shows or writing the movies. They can't come close to Dave because when Dave writes and directs an episode, I know from experience with all the episodes he's directed from Clone Wars and written for Clone Wars and then for Rebels and other stuff that like once I see on the on the web or on the episode that like oh written and directed by Dave Filoni, I know this is going to get all sorts of deep and mystical, and it's going to go some places. That this isn't going to be your oh this is this oh this is that was a filler episode. No, there's no filler episodes with Dave Filoni when he writes and directs an episode. This was absolutely phenomenal. This was impressive, and for somebody that is still catching up on Rebels and Clone Wars and everything involving. I still sat back and watched this, and I was mesmerized by the cinematography mm-hmm. more than anything with this. And for what this episode did, it really established for anybody that's not super familiar with Anakin and Ahsoka's relationship, you understand it now. Mm-hmm. And you have a, a greater appreciation for the storytelling now that you've seen in the series thus far, let alone going in the Rebels. But when you see this all play out, and the visions that uh, come on the screen, that's the selling point of why this episode mattered so much. It wasn't so much based off of what was happening, even though that was good. But when it got away from Ahsoka and her story, it kind of dipped a little bit, but that was to be expected Mm -hmm. because not everything is on that same level. Mm -hmm. But when you have these moments, they hit... And it really felt like watching a movie, as weird as that might sound. Yeah, no, you're right. It did. I mean, especially there's a part later in this where they tied it back to something we saw in The Mandalorians. Mm -hmm. And seeing that imagery come across the screen, I was sitting there just going like, am I really watching a movie or am I watching a TV show? And granted... The the amount of budgets that were put into these shows are are great. Well, the other great thing with this too is you know they have the uh, composer who does the music for this is Kevin Kiner, mm-hmm. who did all of the music for every season of Clone Wars and did all the music for every season of Rebels, and in my opinion, is the greatest Star Wars composer not named John Williams. 
I believe it. Like it's nothing against you know uh, Michael Giacchino, who's done, uh, who did Rogue One, who did a fantastic score, or any you know any of the other composers that have worked on you know the TV shows or whatever. But Ken, there's just something about Kevin Kiner that like he keeps it original, but he also finds those ways to like, oh hey, let me weave in a little bit of this theme you're familiar with. Let me weave weave in this motif you might be familiar with. It, it, he's awesome. No, absolutely. Like the, just everything about this felt epic and i i i I really don't like using that word a lot because it gets thrown around so easily Mm -hmm. but that's honestly what this episode felt like it was i was like this is an experience that's Mm -hmm. probably a better word yeah and very few and far between does a show or a comic or a movie hit like that like you know you're involved in something special Mm -hmm. and this episode delivered on the hype yeah and really had me more excited about where things are going, even though we only have three episodes left. Mm-hmm. I'm still all in, and I have just that much of a deeper appreciation mm-hmm. for what the story is going on. And I mean, I'm drinking the Dave Filoni Kool Aid too. Yeah, like when I see he's attached to a project, I get excited. But when he gets hands on like this, writing and directing, it's a whole different level. And and if you want to introduce somebody into why. He gets the praise he does. Show him this episode. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Uh, well, and if and if you need further convincing because, you know, something is clearly wrong with you that you don't, you know, understand how great Dave Filoni is, go watch the Mortis arc in season three of Clone Wars. I want to say it's like 14, 15, 16. It's somewhere around there. I know episode 16 is involved. Um, but, yeah, no, it's like it's maybe 16, 17, 18. But look for the Mortis arc in season three of Clone Wars. All of that was done by Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni had a heavy hand in that. You'll have your mind blown. Oh, absolutely. Without question. So that said, Pad, let's get into that spoiler talk Uh in three, two, one. Talk to me. I'll be honest. I was afraid I might be setting my expectations a little too high. Just because with everything going on with, you know, Ahsoka being in the world between worlds and what that entails, Anakin showing up again. I was afraid I might be setting my expectations too high. Mm-hmm. That like, oh, I'm expecting to see X, Y, Z, A, B, C. And that if I didn't get most of those met, I'd be let down by the episode. But holy shit, Dave delivered. This episode was everything I expected it to be and then some. You know, it really didn't go far in terms of like moving the plot along, but it didn't need to. It did so much with so little in, in what was it, like maybe 45, 50 minutes worth of time? Yeah, it was it was shorter than I thought it was going to be. You know, let's be honest. You didn't see Sabine. You didn't see Balin. You didn't see all of the forces that had the prior episode had left that that galaxy. And, and as a storyteller, with something that monumental, you would figure, oh, the opening shot of the next episode is going to be them showing them arriving in this new galaxy that we've never seen before. And oh, is it anything like the one we've seen? What are the, no, you did not see one frame of them in this entire episode, Mm -hmm. but it was still incredible from start to finish. No, it definitely hit the marks that I had pegged for this because when the cliffhanger happened at the end of episode four, I knew it was going to be heavy Anakin and Ahsoka. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm not mad that the other parts happened because it did right. provide a solid break. Right. But you're right. They didn't move the needle. After that, I mean, this was all about Anakin and Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. And those parts were so strong 
that it carried this episode. Mm-hmm. And that's a credit to Filoni, that you did not need to spend a lot of time on the side characters and the story going on there, mm-hmm. even though you gave, I'm going to say, like, roughly, what, 10, 15 minutes at the end? Yeah. The, they wrapped up things with Anakin and went to get back on track with the storyline? Yeah, yeah. And so it's once the stuff with Anakin, the storyline was in it, with Anakin was taken over, it's like, all right, we filled in that little bit, now we need to, you know, put the car in drive and keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, once they, once they got back on track still, they ended with such strong imagery, and yeah. I, I can't stress that enough. They ended with just being visually mind-blowing to the fans watching at home that I think everybody got over the fact that it was done with Anakin and they got back to business. Mm-hmm. And that's very hard to do, especially with the hype behind this. Like we mm-hmm. said, when you're showing this in movie theaters, yeah. and I understand with the strike and everything going on, I still think if, if there was no strike, they still would show this in theaters. Oh, absolutely. I You can't tell me otherwise. I, absolutely. I fully believe that. Because then where this episode jumps in, you have Jay Salunda, Jason, yeah. Um, played by Evan Witten, is now developing his force powers. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to tell his mom, Hera, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, mm-hmm. that Ahsoka is still out there. Right, because they show up on the planet. They have, they have three or four X-Wings. I forget the exact number. But they start circling the planet and searching for Ahsoka and, and Sabine. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they're not going to find any life signs of Sabine. She's not in this this galaxy. But they still don't turn up any actual life signs of Ahsoka. So they're like, oh, hey, she's not there. But just because of Jason and his connection and his father was Kanan Jarrus, who was a Jedi, you know, he has force abilities and he's they're ready to leave. And, you know, some of the pilots even tell Hera that like, hey, you know, we're expected back with the fleet that we have to go back soon. And they, they name drop General Leia. Or, uh, General uh, General Organa, yeah, I think is what they say, can only cover for us for so long, you know. So they name drop that, and Hera's ready to leave, but Jason's like, "No, Mom, we can't leave. Like, there's something there." Mm-hmm. And she kind of looks at Chopper because you can see Chopper's running a scan like R two did on Hoth in uh, Empire Strikes Back, and she looks at, at Chopper, and Chopper's like, "No, I I don't have anything," and he's like, "No, Mom, listen, like you you can hear it." And, mm-hmm. and she and he she goes hear what because she doesn't hear anything he goes no she goes all I hear is the waves and he goes yeah you can hear the waves but you can hear the lightsabers crashing in the waves yeah such such a great line too because then it jumps to the world between worlds mm-hmm. I call it the astral plane but I mean obviously it's and you're not wrong yeah I mean that's the kind of vibe I had but then again I read a lot of Marvel comics so that's where it kind of connected with me and we do see Anakin played by Hayden Christensen uh huh addressing Ahsoka, yep. played by Rosario Dawson. Yep. And just the back and forth of just the shock of seeing each other again. Yeah. And this really led to a lot of speculation online if that was really Anakin or not. Uh, it was. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think yeah. By, the, by the time this episode is yeah. done, you see yeah. that. And you see that Anakin has been trying to say, you know, where Ahsoka has been failing, even though he's been gone at this point. Right, he's been gone for, I want to say, maybe like... 30 years at this point? Yeah, it's, it's somewhere around that level. Somewhere level. around there? Yeah. That he's saying, like, your biggest failure well, yeah. is, is holding you back. Well, and, and he says her training's not done, and, and I can understand her nervousness at seeing them because the last time they saw each other uh, was in one of the season of Rebels where she fought Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. You know, so I can understand her being nervous about seeing him, but, you know, he shows up and he basically tells her, they're like, hey, listen, you know, your training's not done. Yeah. And, and that's true because she left the Jedi Order 
you know, before she became a Jedi Knight, they were ready to make her a Jedi. They technically kicked her out of the Jedi Order and they were ready to bring her back because the, the situation got resolved. I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, but that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole different episode sometime. Yeah. Um, but so basically they kicked her out. They're ready to bring her back in. And she goes, no, you know what? I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And so she leaves and goes off on her own, thereby like, hey, he, he, you know, her training wasn't finished. And he's like, I need to finish your training. Yeah. And she's kind of confused. She's like, well, what more do you have to teach me? And he goes, no, there's still some stuff. There's still some stuff I haven't taught you. Yeah. And it, it's kind of a, a very unique banter back and forth between them. That's that's their banter. Yeah. Yeah. Because they they don't have exactly like the friendliest of banter. No, it, it's playful fun. Yeah, it's it's just like it's it, it goes to the fun, and even Ahsoka's kind of questioning that because Anakin's never known to have a sense of humor. No. And it's something that plays into because then they start doing a little travel back in time. Oh, my God. And you want to break this in now? So he starts off by doing her, and mm-hmm. she's kind of being defensive. She doesn't want to do it. She's like, why are we doing this? And then she gets knocked through this cloud because the thing with the world between worlds is you can is when you're there, And you're physically there. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't like, oh, her body was, you know, whatever. No, she was physically there. That's why. And if you're kind of, well, no, she wasn't there. They found her in the water. Remember when they were searching the planet with the X-Wings and the ghost? There was no sign of her. They still would have picked her up if she was in the ocean, even if she was unconscious. But so she was physically there and, and she gets traveled back in time to one of their first missions on the Clone Wars. Yeah. And this is where I can't believe it didn't hit me towards now. How fucking young she was yeah. at the start. Like, and I think part of that may be just because having heard Ashley Eckstein voice the character, and Ashley Eckstein is not a child by any any, right, right, any right. stretch, but just it it never really hit me in all the times I've watched Clone Wars that she was a child when this started. Mm-hmm. And you see her fighting the battle and fighting through wherever they were they never said where she just said it was one of their first missions in the clone wars and and can i just say it was awesome to see hayden christensen in the clone wars attire from the tv show yes oh my god that was incredible to watch the attention to detail Uh uh-huh so they're back in one of their first battles and just realizing that oh my god this is a kid who be you know they're supposed to be keepers of the peace they're supposed to be defenders of the weak and the innocent and the good and the just and you've sent a child out to a war to be a soldier. Mm-hmm. And it just that's when it just hit me that I'm just like, holy sugar cookies. Yeah. It was insane. It's a wild scene. And especially, too, she's sitting there pleading with him about, mm-hmm. like, what are we doing? And he's almost like, why are you asking? Yeah. Questioning her. like he, He's playing it as if it's in the moment. Like, mm-hmm. it's not. But he's playing it as if this is, like, actually happening in that present time. Like, we're in that time period. Yeah. It's it's a really interesting play that they do. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you have Hera trying to fly over the water mm-hmm. to find they're running low Ahsoka. On, they're running low on fuel. It gets brought up by one of the X-Wing pilots. They're like, hey, we really got to go sooner. We're going to start dipping into our reserve fuels. Yeah. It's a very cool scene to, to go on because they give a sense of urgency mm-hmm. with what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I was hoping that they did because obviously with everything going on, that is a side story that is, hap- that right. is going on. And they didn't want to miss out on that. Right. Well, and they're kind of building that sense of urgency when Hu Yang is on the ghost with Hera. Mm-hmm. And Hera and Hu Yang, Hera asks Hu Yang, like, because he was on, he's been on the planet since Hera, uh, Ahsoka and Sabine got there. That she's like, listen, do you th-? she and I'm paraphrasing, but she says, hey, do you think they're here? And he goes, 
know. And the longer, uh, the longer we go without finding them, the more, the more I don't like the possibility of the outcome. Yeah. So I like how they added that little bit of danger to mm-hmm. it. And then we shift back to the starting ground for mm-hmm. the war between worlds. Yep. And Ahsoka is still just fighting back. Well, it's it's a different time and period because you see her Ahsoka looks a little younger. She's only got the one lightsaber. And then the next time we see her, she's a couple of years older because in the show they did age her up a little bit. Mm-hmm. They gave her two lightsabers. And she, so she's now got the two lightsabers, except they're not green like she had during the show. They're uh, bluish, whitish, like she had during the final season of Clone Wars. And specifically where they are, great of interest, they're on Mandalore, and she is there during the Siege of Mandalore. where, Where she was, basically, this is right at the start of Revenge of the Sith. Anakin and Obi-Wan find out, oh, hey, Maul's back on Mandalore. We got to go take care of him. Shit, we can't because Grievous just took capture the the uh, Chancellor. We got to go rescue the Chancellor. What are we going to do? Oh, I know. Why don't we call Ahsoka and we split half of the division off. We send half of the 501st with Ahsoka over to Mandalore to go capture Maul. We'll go save the Chancellor and everything will be all hunky-dory and we'll all be home in time for tea and crumpets. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so this is Ahsoka in the middle of fighting the Mandalorians on Mandalore and you see the death. So those uh, Mandalorians with like the mall helmets you had on that, that was the mall death watch. Okay. Which was awesome to see in live action. And that's when you see Ahsoka bring it up that we're, or Anakin bring it up. He goes, Oh, I, I don't know this battle. She goes, well, that's because we'd already split up by this point. This is the siege of Mandalore. Mm-hmm. And it plays out so well too, especially oh God, we got to see Captain Rex. Yes. Tomorrow Morrison, AKA yes. Boba Fett. Fuck it. I, I was so angry when we got through the first flashback scene or whatever you want to call it and, mm-hmm. and Rex, like you saw rex rex was yeah he was there he was there but he, of course he didn't say anything and i'm like oh he's got to say something come on and then we get to the seat you know the next scene where it's the siege of mandalore and and he, he says something and i'm like yes like vindication this character that i've watched on my television screen for like 15 years off and on is finally in live action he's actually a thing it was amazing and especially, too, as they were doing in the scene as well, mm-hmm. the foreshadowing of Vader. Mm-hmm. They kept doing it throughout all the back, uh, back flashbacks mm-hmm. where it kept kind of quickly flashing between Anakin and Vader because ultimately that's what he becomes. Yeah. It was wild to see this all play out. And especially mm-hmm. just that just that style of cinematography, it adds so much because... Uh-huh. As Ahsoka knows what's going to happen, yep. she's sitting there trying to hold on to the past, but she knows the future is doomed. Right, and she even brings that up right before they leave, you know, the Mandalore flashback, where she's like, he, she's like, listen, nobody knew how strong or how powerful you were. You actually were. Mm-hmm. And he basically is like, oh, you know, you got to save her. Well, he asks her a question or whatever, and she says no. And he goes, oh, all right, back to the beginning. And he pulls out his lightsaber, and he does something that we've only ever seen, as far as I know, in the Revenge of the Sith video game in the alternate ending. So in the Revenge of the Sith video game, you play through it, you get to the end of the story, it plays out like the way the movie does. It's a bonus mission. After the story is over, because in the final mission you play, you go back and forth in the missions in the game playing as Obi-Wan and Anakin. Final mission is is as Obi-Wan because, hey, Obi-Wan's got to win that fight. Mm -hmm. Fun alternate version of the Revenge of the Sith video game is you play as Anakin and you fight Obi-Wan on Mustafar. And except this time... uh, Obi-Wan underestimates Anakin's power and he clears the jump and he kills Obi-Wan. 
And then he walks away and the emperor goes to, and he's like, ah, congratulations, Lord Vader. You know, oh, now we're going to rule the galaxy. Oh, here's your new lightsaber. And he kills the emperor there and then. Mm. And then he gets the red lightsaber then. He goes, no, the ga- now the galaxy's mine. So we actually got to see Anakin pull out his lightsaber, get ready to fight Ahsoka again. Except this time he's got a little more colorful eyes. Yes. And this time the lightsaber is red. Mm-hmm. And it's Anakin, not Vader. Although you can make the argument he's Vader. But it's Anakin in the flesh and blood. Yes. Fighting Ahsoka with the red lightsaber. Great fight sequence happening in the war, world between worlds. Hi, Hasbro. Yeah, you need to make a figure of that. Yeah, that's. I think that's coming. Whoever's in charge of like those like sideshow collectible figures, do one of that too. Yeah, so they have a, an impressive duel that's going on. Ahsoka does wind up winning, mm-hmm. which was kind of a surprise to some certain degree. Mm-hmm. But it's a situation that she has come to terms with her own guilt. Yeah. And it's a cool scene that plays out because she's always had a, a, a feeling that she's partly responsible for Anakin becoming Vader. Well, yeah, because she walked away from the Jedi Order and then he kind of fell further down. Because if you go and watch Clone Wars and you pay attention to the scenes Anakin is in, Mm-hmm. It's not every episode and it's not every scene. There are some scenes that, like, you can see the turn. Like, obviously, we know he eventually turns, but, like, you can see it building. But, like, there's an episode in season two, season three, I forget which one it is, where he straight up go. They have uh, Poggle the Lesser, who's the one of the heads of the Geonosian forces, and he's trying to get information out of him. Yeah. And he goes and he actually, without, with Mace Windu and Obi-Wan are on the ship. And he goes and tortures him. And and he comes back. He's like, oh, I got the information I need. And Obi-Wan and Mace look at him and go, how the hell did you get that information? Because we all talked to him and he wouldn't give us anything. And he's like, yeah, what does it matter? I've got the information. Let's just go. Yeah. That like, so she left him the first time. He fell further down the path. And then she left him at the start of the Mandalore, the Siege of Mandalore, where he went one way, she went the other way. And you watch in Clone Wars where she senses what happens on Coruscant. But to her, she has no idea what really happens. She just senses something's wrong with Anakin. And then she's convinced he's dead. And that, you know, that something or someone killed him. Mm-hmm. And then she finds out in Rebels that Vader is Anakin. And she feels personally responsible for that because I left him and he turned into this. Yeah. It's a powerful scene that goes on, but it ultimately gets resolved that she comes to terms with it, that she's not at fault. Mm-hmm. And this kind of gives her a new sense of purpose. Yeah. And gives her the will to live. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a weird situation how it plays out, but it's, it works. And as, at this point, you just see Anakin disappear. Yep. So he just kind of disappears. He, he says, maybe there's still hope for you. Yeah. So at this point, we as the viewers find out she's underwater mm-hmm. and there's a light overhead. Yep. Cause at this point they've, they've uh, detected her life signs. Mm-hmm. So she is discovered yep. by uh, Harris crew mm-hmm. and they wind up bringing her to safety. Mm-hmm. And then things get back to basics with the story mm-hmm. because Hera is getting contacted by mom Mothpa. Yep. Uh, who says basically hey, you got to come back or else you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. There's no, no escape in this. But Ahsoka is saying, I think I know how to find Thrawn. Mm-hmm. And I think I know how to find Sabine. Yep. So she takes a gamble and leaves. Mm-hmm. Still recovering from her situation, too. And it's only been a day. Yes. They pulled, so they pulled her out of the water and put her on the ship to recover. And she even asks Hu Yang. She's like, oh, how long has it been? He's like, oh, one rotation. Mm-hmm. So it's been one day. Yeah. So her and Hu Yang take off. 
yep. in a ship mm-hmm. with a little help. Yeah. And how they go about this is tying back to something from the Mandalorian. Mandalorian and Rebels. So in Rebels, they introduced us to this species called the Pergil. Mm-hmm. Uh, reading from the Star Wars fandom page, uh, quote, Pergil were a semi-sentient species of massive whales that lived in deep space, traveling from star system to star system. Regular Pergil were only the size of a small starship, while members of a subspecies known as Pergil Ultra were significantly larger. Pergil had streamlined bodies with a smooth-looking bluish-purple skin, four large hind tentacles, and multiple fins. Their heads had a charismatic bulbous shape with one eye on each side. Living in groups consisting of up to dozens of individuals, they were able to fly through hyperspace by creating simutunnels. The natural ability of the Pergil inspired sentience to develop hyperspace technology and wayfinders that were used for hyperspace navigation. Close quote. Hmm. Uh, so they we, they got introduced in Rebels. Pergil were how Ezra disappeared with Thrawn. Thrawn uh, Ezra had Thrawn trapped on a starship, and the Pergil dragged it through hyperspace. And at some point, we, at the time, we had no idea. Now we know him. He's in a different galaxy. And so with uh, uh, Sabine being off in the other galaxy with the bad guys, and and Ahsoka wanting to find her, the Pergil are now her only way of finding it, but it is also the character, as you alluded to, that uh, Grogu, Baby Yoda, saw in season three during one of the first few episodes where they were traveling through hyperspace. Mm-hmm. So Ahsoka comes up with a plan to join the fleet. Uh, she comes up with the idea. Yeah. She's not sure it's going to work. Right, but it's still an amazing visual as she gets out on the ship and just makes a connection mm-hmm. with one of the creatures mm-hmm. and winds up getting taken by hyperspace. Yeah, and even Hu Yang, she, so she gets, she gets on this wing of the ship, communicates with the thing. All the meanwhile, the X-Wing pilots are like trying to talk to this you know, high-ranking official in the New Republic uh, who's come to collect them and bring them back, and, and they're stalling for time. And finally, the Pergo come flying out of space. Uh, come flying out of space and Hera's like, yeah, y'all need to get out of the way. So they get out of the way. And meanwhile, uh, Ahsoka is getting back on the ship and Hu Yang asks, oh, are you sure they know where Sabine is? Mm -hmm. And she goes, no, I have have no idea. And Hu Yang looks at her and goes, what? And she's like, yeah, no, I have no idea. No. He's like, he's like, so we don't know where, where they could, what, where we could go. And she goes, yeah, but that's better than going nowhere. He's like, they could still take us a lot of places. Mm-hmm. But she's using her faith in the Force mm-hmm. to guide them. And literally, that's how the episode ends. Yep. So, a lot to digest here with this. Yeah. I mean, visually, like I say, I, I can't scream enough. Like, Cinematography's awesome. The music is awesome. It, just everything about it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like this felt like a, a mini-movie for 40 minutes. And like I say, the strongest character work was Hayden Christensen and Rosario Dawson. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to take anything away from anybody else, but yeah. this was all about them. Well and, I, well, and I think the benefit with that is Rosario Dawson is a self-professed Clone Wars fan. She loves mm-hmm. she loves Clone Wars. And even Hayden Christensen, when he came back to Star Wars, you know, at Celebration a couple of years ago, and, and it was announced, oh, yeah, he's going to be in the Obi-Wan series. He had said he had gone back and watched the Clone Wars. And, and he was appreciative for everything Dave Filoni had done for the character. 
I don't think we would have gotten that level of connection had they not been bo- both been fans of Clone Wars. Mm. Because they both understood the relationship between the characters. And it's it's not necessarily Master and Apprentice. The Master and Apprentice thing is there. It's almost like a brother and sister. Yeah. You know, that like, they respect each other, but they're still going to barb at each other and they're still going to poke at each other. Yeah. It's a very cool dynamic they have, and it, it plays out, though. Mm-hmm. And especially for now where everything's going, yeah. the search for Thrawn is... is speeding up yeah it looks like i mean obviously with star wars and you know the power of the force i think that we're gonna see sabine and everybody else sooner than later probably next episode i'd that'd be my guess i would imagine i think we have to catch up on what her storyline is going on with everybody mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it makes perfect sense and especially i'm not saying next week is gonna be a letdown by no. any stretch of the imagination but it's gonna be hard to compare i with w- this one i wouldn't be surprised if this one's kind of like the vice versa of this one where this one was so ahsoka and Anakin and Hera heavy, that that next one is more Sabine and Balin heavy. I wouldn't doubt that either. I think that would be the smart play to do it. Yeah. And I think Filoni is very, very aware of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, I'm fully expecting that to be going on next Tuesday as we talk. Mm-hmm. But that said, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. Ahsoka, episode five entitled Shadow Warrior. What is your thoughts? Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi guys, this is Macroom. I'm the writer of Infernogo Red, and you're listening to the ODPH Podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, first of which is a recommendation and an advisement to folks because uh, coming up this weekend uh, on this, uh, this yeah, this Saturday is Batman Day. Uh, but as a special release, you have for the first time ever Batman Mask of the Phantasm releasing in 4K. Ooh. Which... My favorite Batman movie of all time, uh, directed by the incredible Tim Burton, obviously, and, and Eric Radomski, got Kevin Conroy, Dana Delaney, among a host of others, uh, f- available for the first time ever in 4K. And if there's any indication about when they released the Blu-ray in, in uh, way back when, a couple of years ago, uh, get your copy now if you, if you see it in stores, because it's going to be goddamn near impossible to find in stores if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a word to the wise advisement for you. Uh, switching over to some video game news uh, coming out this uh, this Thursday uh, at 7 a.m. Pacific time. So, you know, probably about 11, 12 o'clock Eastern. Figure it out where it is in your time zone will be the next Nintendo Direct. It's been announced by the folks over Nintendo. Uh, so not quite sure what's going to uh, be announced there. Uh, but there are some rumors floating around, according to the folks over at IGN. Uh, some of the rumored announcements are some uh, classics for the Nintendo Switch. So that's where you can play the old Super Nintendo, uh, the regular Nintendo, the N64, GameCube games on your Switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, are the uh, Legend of Zelda, the Wind, uh, Wind Waker, uh, a Fire Emblem remake, and a new Donkey Kong game. Ooh. Uh, also, wouldn't be surprised if there's a tease for the next-gen Switch, because rumor has it that was shown uh, over the last week or so. Not quite sure what the details are, and there haven't been any leaked photos, but there are rumors floating around that a new version of the Switch, the Switch 2, I guess you could call it, I don't know, have been shown. Uh, so the Direct is going to last about 40 minutes. Uh, and like I said, it's this, uh, this Thursday, September 14th at 7 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, you know, so probably about 11 or 12 o'clock Eastern here to figure out where it is in your time zone, but definitely something to check out because Nintendo, they always like to do, uh, some crazy announcements with when it comes to their directs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 
this Nintendo. Mm-hmm. They always like making a big splash, and especially with the directs. Yeah. You know, they definitely want me to be stealing some spotlights there. Speaking of video game companies, and this one is at the opposite end of the spectrum, they're not doing so hot these days, and that would be Square Enix. Yeah. Uh, so Square Enix, and this is reading from an article on IGN.com, uh, they've lost about $2 billion in value uh, since June. Uh, so yeah, reading from an article on IGN.com, it says, quote, Square Enix has lost nearly $2 billion in value since the launch of Final Fantasy 16 in June, and a new report has cast doubt on the company's ability to recover. Shares in the company have plummeted nearly 30% since Final Fantasy 16 came out on June 22nd, closing on September 13th at their lowest point since May of last year. The PlayStation 5 exclusive sold 3 million copies during launch week, a figure that sparked a debate online about whether it had met Square Enix's sales targets. Square Enix told IGN in July sales of Final Fantasy 16 were, quote, extremely strong and insisted the game had sold well relative to the PS5 install base. IGN sources familiar with the performance of Final Fantasy 16 confirmed sales had slowed considerably since launch, but that the game was not yet considered a disaster. Early in September, Square Enix announced Final Fantasy 16 is set for two paid DLC expansions and confirmed a PC port was officially in development. A new report from Bloomberg painted a bleak picture of Square Enix, which reported a sharp profit decline in August. Analysts told the publication that Final Fantasy 16 failed to make up for the poor performance of previous Square Enix flops, such as Marvel's Avengers and Forspoken, mm. and mobile games that were shut down soon after launch. The root of the problem, sources told Bloomberg, is that producers were given full reign over the scope and direction of projects, whose, go- whose goals can shift without warning. The upshot of this volatility and the quality of the final product. Square Enix has a new CEO, Takashi Kiru, who intends to reduce the number of smaller games in the works to focus on big-budget games that have a greater chance of making an impact on the company's bottom line. Square Enix declined to comment. Apparently, there's a rebuild of development practices currently being worked, though. Uh, One source close to Square Enix told IGN that Kiru has called for a change across the company globally, but that change will take time. Upcoming Square Enix games include Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, Star Ocean, The Second Story, R, uh, uh, Foam Stars, and Final Fantasy XIV Expansion, Dawn Trail. Uh, Close quote. So things not looking good for the folks over there at Square Enix. Well, you know, I think with the Avengers game personally, I mean, that did really let a lot of people down like they right. were not happy with it. just my opinion just talking with other oh, fans yeah, yeah no i i was one of those game purchasers i was not thrilled with it and i just know with with square enix games especially the last couple that like okay final fantasy i think what was it yeah 15 mm-hmm. final fantasy 15 started development as final fantasy versus 13 and was in development for like 10 years mm-hmm. and just and then the director tetsuya nomura who worked on kingdom hearts booted off of that one so we could get going on kingdom hearts uh three because kingdom hearts three was taking 10 took 13 years to come out you know and it's just you you're used to hearing square enix and you know final fantasy 7 8 9 10 and and you know crisis core and all the other stuff they worked on being hits and it's been like the, okay final fantasy 7 remake was great i played that one that one was phenomenal mm. 15 was it was okay it's all right you could tell where they switched directors because it went from a very open world you can go anywhere you can do whatever you feel like you can do all these side missions to all of a sudden you're on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere and there's nowhere to turn off yeah you know so we'll see what happens i 
doubt they'll go under and I maybe they'll get bought. Who's who's to say? It's hard to say. I mean, obviously the video game world these days is a very very interesting place. Uh-huh. To put it mildly. Speaking of shitstorms in the video game community, <laughs> uh, the folks over at Unity have really put their foot in this one. Boy howdy. So reading from an article on Axios.com, uh, this one says, quote, Unity, the tech company behind one of the most popular engines for creating video games, is scrambling to clarify how a price increase for its services will work after its announcement Tuesday morning broadly infuriated the game development community. Uh, the fees which Unity said are essential for funding development of its tech left many game makers wondering if having a hit game through Unity would cost them more money than they could make. Developers spoke throughout the day of delaying their games to switch to rival Epic Games Unreal Engine or other services on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. Mm -hmm. But by the evening, Unity exec Mark Witten was updating Axios on the policies, potentially diffusing some concerns raised by the game creators. The new runtime fee announced Tuesday morning is tied to a player's installations of a game, an action that previously didn't cost developers anything. With Unity's new plan, developers who use Unity's free tier of development service services would owe Unity $0.20 cents per installation once their game hit thresholds of 200,000 downloads and earn $200,000 in revenue. Developers paying over $2,000 a year for a Unity Pro plan would have to hit higher thresholds and would be charged with lower fees. The new fee system will begin at the start of 2024. Game developers rallying on Twitter uh, began fuming immediately that any game enjoying a spike in installations due to a big sale, inclusion in a charity bundle, or even just by being included in a popular subscription service like Microsoft Game Pass mm -hmm. would trigger backbreaking Unity fees. Quote, stop it. Development studio Innersloth, makers of the hit Among Us, tweeted Tuesday evening. This would harm not only us, but fellow game studios of all budgets and sizes. Another studio, AgroCrab, called on Unity to reverse its plans, saying that it feared that its next game, set for release to the 25 million subscribers on Game Pass, could incur fees that, quote, threaten the stability of our business, close quote. Unity has scrambled to clarify and in one key case, alter what it has said about its policies around the fees. After initially telling Axios earlier Tuesday that a player installing a game, deleting it, and installing it again would result in multiple fees, Unity's Witten told Axios that the company would actually only charge for an, installa for an in initial installation. A spokesperson told Axios that Unity had regrouped to discuss the issue. He hoped this would allay fears of install boom bombing, where an angry user could keep deleting and reinstalling a game to rack up fees to punish a developer. But an extra fee will be charged if a user installs a game on a second device, say a Steam Deck, after installing a game on PC, close quote. So this, this is some shit that... That's messy. It's dirty. It's messy. Uh, I know the folks that make the game uh, Cult of the Lamb, which is a, was a, it was and is a very popular indie game, have basically said, hey, if you want to get our game, uh, download it on, you know, download it before January 1st, because after that, we're deleting it from all the, all the, the game stores it's currently on, because mm -hmm. they don't want to play ball with this. They're not, they're not cool with this. Oh, I can't blame them. Uh, so in case you think, oh, this might not affect me. Uh, no. Uh, so Unity is 
supported on the following platforms, Apple, Android, uh, Apple TV, Windows, Mac, and Linux, uh, also on the web platform WebGL, but it's also on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S, also the Nintendo Switch. And if you have, you're like, oh, I don't have those. I've only got a virtual reality thing. No, you're not. You're not uh, counted out of this because they do stuff for Oculus, AR Core, Apple's AR Kit, Windows Mixed Reality, uh, and also Steam VR and Google Cardboard. And they've also uh, done work for platforms such as the Wii U, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, PlayStation Vita, Nintendo 3DS, the BlackBerry 10, the Windows Phone 8, Samsung Smart VR, Gear VR, uh, Facebook Game Room, and Stadia. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, if you think you're able to dodge this one, probably not. It's it's a logo that a lot of us might overlook when you're booting up a game because it lists the game engines there on the start, but... You know, uh, they're in some shit. They definitely are. This will be something to watch. But, man, this is mm-hmm. messy. And it, and it gets even messier just because uh, Unity CEO, this is according to GameRant.com. Uh, real quick, Unity CEO John Ricitellos sold 2,000 shares of his company right before they made this announcement. Ooh, that's not good. No. That's really, really, really not good. And you got to have, you got to want feeling that the folks over at because Nintendo's uh-huh. PlayStation, Xbox, so you got to feel Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft won't be too thrilled that some of their popular games that are featured on uh, sales a lot are going to all of a sudden get pulled because of this bullshit. Yeah, that's that's not good. Just saying. Oh, man. Uh, before we get into comic book picks, uh, Pat kind of alluded to it a little bit. This coming week is Batman Day. Yeah. The most wonderful time of the year if you're a fan of the Cape Crusader. There's a lot that is going on involving him. So mm-hmm. if you really want to get the official word, dc.com slash Batman Day. And I have to plug something that we alluded to last night on Turn a Page on Nerd Initiative YouTube. The episode is up right now. There is a contest that will be going on Nerd Initiative. We're doing Ooh. a lot of those lately. Yeah. Pad uh, can tell you firsthand. Yeah. That the, uh, the prizes are very, very good. Yeah, they are. I got two... Uh concept art uh star wars funko pops yeah like done in the style that ralph mcquarrie did way back when Mm -hmm. so we have something coming out this uh friday that it's going to be relating right to turn a page so if you're not following nerd initiative on instagram you want to make sure you follow up on friday and then get ready because it is batman day related and it will impact a future edition of Turner Page. Ooh. So definitely want to tease that a little bit. Pad, what are you most looking forward to for Batman Day? Any of the movies that are going to be on TV, because I, I do enjoy the movies. Uh, look, I, you mentioned the site, uh, but you got a blog over on DC.com, uh, where basically from September 3rd through September uh, 24th, and this explains why this has been on TV. This has confused the shit out of me, mm-hmm. why it's been on TV. But yeah, so from September 3rd through September 24th, Adult Swim will air four fan-favorite Batman films by Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher. Uh, those include Batman, Batman Returns, Batman and Robin, and Batman Forever. That explains why Batman and Robin was on TV the other night. And I'm like, why is this on TV? <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Uh, also, TNT will host a Batman Day movie marathon all day on September 16th, featuring airings of Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. So Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises, plus Justice League and Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. So mm. if you're a Batman fan, get yourself the biggest bowl of popcorn you can find. Get yourself very beverages, because don't drink soda throughout the day, you heathen. <laughs> get, get, get some OJ, get some water, get some juice, get some like fruit punch or Snapple, uh, and watch yourself some Batman. Also, if you don't want to sit through all those movies, TBS is going to host a Big Bang Theory Batman Day Marathon. 
featuring fan favorite Batman themed episodes of the popular sitcom. So I'm excited for all this stuff on TV because, listen, I'm not that big a fan of Batman Forever. Batman and Robin, I enjoy it because it I, is what it is. It is what it is. I liked it as a kid. Uh, but no, then you got the Dark Knight trilogy on TV. Cannot go wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, there's so much going on, especially to think about 80 plus years of the Dark Knight. You know, mm-hmm. as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. You know, it, it just it sinks in that. A character lasting this long, and especially with the day that is devoted to him and the legacy he's left behind, mm-hmm. it's a great time to go to the comic shops and go pick up some Batman books. And you can you can't go wrong no matter where you turn for the most part. No. Like I say, the Batman's always had just uh, an interesting history with that. Arguably the greatest rogues gallery in all of comics. Uh, one of the few characters I know that has college courses devoted to his rogues gallery. Mm-hmm. And there's and like I say, from whatever era you read of him. There's always something there for uh-huh. you. So you definitely want to go make sure you check that out. Like I say, from the video games to the movies going to be on TV to the comic shops, like there's going to be a lot going on with that. And can't stress enough, the big contest that will be going on, Nerd Initiative, on Friday. We're going to a day ahead of it because it's going to be technically Saturday is Batman Day. Mm-hmm. But we're going to drop ours on Friday to kind of carry through the weekend. So you want to make sure you do that. And hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What are you most looking forward to for Batman Day? Because it is going to be a big day, and we'll be talking about it, yeah. you know, recapping next week, if you will. Yeah. But that being said, we got to go hit the comic shops pad. What we got? Got just uh, just two this week uh, from the folks over at Marvel. You've got Star Wars Darth Vader issue number 38. This is, of course, the Dark Droids uh, saga that's going on uh, from Greg Pak. Uh, this one reads, The Scourge comes for the Executor, a Dark Droids tie-in. As Darth Vader's superstar destroyer flagship faces its deadliest threat ever, the Dark Lord fights the war on two fronts against a horde of Scourge droids and against the forces of the Empire itself, featuring a rare grim- uh, glimpse into the true character of Admiral Pitt. Hmm. Can't go wrong with that, and you absolutely cannot go wrong with Gargoyles. Issue number nine from the folks over at uh, Disney uh, and Dynamite Comics, written by Greg Weissman. Uh, and this one reads, The trial of Goliath begins with a district attorney intent on proving that gargoyles should not be considered people. Goliath will rely on influential humans, human friends to speak on his behalf, including the love of his life, New York police detective, Elisa Maza. Cannot go wrong with that. If you are, like I've said before, if you are a fan of the gargoyles television series, this is a fantastic continuation. No, absolutely. And it completely ignores the third season. Yes. Which, Trust me, uh-huh. is not a bad thing. Uh, if you watch Gargoyles or rewatch Gargoyles, skip season three. Yeah. Uh, you're doing yourself a favor. Uh, let's see. For me, my picks, let's keep it Batman Day related. Okay. Uh, Batman and Robin number one, hey. Joshua Williamson and Simon D. Mio. Now, this is taking place involving the Gotham War going on right now. Okay. So if you're not familiar with that, that is the big fight that is going on between Batman and Catwoman in Gotham City. Two issues are out now, uh, so I don't think I'm talking spoilers when I'm saying this. The fallout from Night Terrors, which was the big DC Universe crossover they had. Yes. uh, The lingering effects have taken a hold of Bruce Wayne. And Mm. I I like that they've kept this up a little bit. But when Night Terrors ended, so did Batman for a little while. He's back now, and there's a new stat quo in place via Catwoman involving crime. This has caused a very big rift between those two. Obviously, you know their history as of late has been um, the Facebook status is complicated. (laughs) So 
This book kind of stems with that, but it's not one that you need to read The Gotham War to understand. You'll have a better understanding, but you don't need this. This is very self-contained about what is going on between Bruce and Damian Wayne. And I love the story with this. I love the book. Like The artwork is just fantastic. This is classic Batman 101. I dig it. I can't scream highly enough about it. So I'm definitely giving a very, very big recommendation at the comic shops this week for it. Uh, from Image Comics this week, they have a monster week that's out. The Call number 2, uh, Kelly Thompson and Mattia De Luis. This book is ca- catching on a lot of fire. This has been a great issue, number one. It almost looks like the artwork is it will just blow you away. So like I say, can't stress this enough. Kelly Thompson does no wrong in my eyes. I think that she is a fantastic writer. And Black Cloak Volume 1 that she did with Meredith McLaren is now on trade paperback too. So do yourself a favor, pick up both. Also from Image Comics this week, the Enfield Gang Massacre, number two. So if you like that Texas blood, you'll definitely dig this. I can actually talk some spoilers because last night I couldn't. Uh, so it's Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips taking it back to the uh, wild, wild west and really giving you a really crazy story going on with a lot of drama and a lot of violence. So this is going to be one that you want to keep your eyes on for. Like I say, it's a, it's a whole different vibe. It's a whole unique thing. I definitely dig it. Also from Image Comics, Dark and Skybound Entertainment. Shout out to Skybound. Dark Ride number eight, Joshua Williamson and Andrea or Andrea Bresson. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, so this has been a very, very crazy story too going on. And I know our guy Marty from over in the Nerd Initiative bullpen has been reviewing this since day one. So you definitely want to go give that a look. And like I say, Image got a lot of great stuff out this week as well. Not to be outdone, Boom Studios really having a monster week this week. Uh, speaking of monsters, House of Slaughter number seventeen. Uh, so James Tynan uh, doing amazing things, giving the blueprint for this. But this is a whole new creative team behind it: Sam Johns, Letizia Candolci, uh, Francesco Sagala, and Andrew designed on the lettering. Like I say, everything they do with this whole universe is just can't miss. They do slow burn drama better than everybody. Mm. I know you won't do it because it involves horror. Hell no. So we're being honest and upfront about it. So. But if you are into it, and I think you would dig it, uh, out there in the ODPH Society, make sure you're picking this up. There, the House of Slaughter is all self-contained stories, uh, overspanning an arc about four to five issues. So this one is definitely one that is starting to gain some steam, and the direction it's going in, I think, is very, very cool. So, like I said, Sam Johns is crushing it, uh, writing this issue. So definitely make sure you go check that out. Also by Boom, another horror book, Damn Them All, number eight, Simon Spurrier, Charles Adlard. Uh, picking up right where they left off. Happy to see this got picked up to be a regular series as well. Uh, so you definitely want to go check it out if you're in the Hellblazer, that kind of vibe. Definitely a lot of cool things happening there. Coda number one uh, with Spurrier and Matisse Bergara. That is another one that you definitely want to keep an eye out for as well at the comic shop. Plus, out in uh, trade paperback form, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Ryan Parrott, Dan Morapad. Oh, yeah? What else do we need to say? Not much. Seriously, crushing it on every chance they get. And that was such a fun series to read. I can't stress that enough. Uh, Very quickly from IDW, Killmore number one. A lot of buzz going on with that. Haven't got a chance to pick that up, but I've been getting messaged all day that I need to go check that. So I will be making an attempt to go pick that up as well. Uh, On the Marvel side too, big week for them. Daredevil number one. So this is the new team that is taking over the book. Oh, okay. Um, after Chip Zdarsky. So you definitely want to go make sure you check this out. It's a new creative team of Saladin Ahmed and Aaron Cutter. So 
really interested to see where this direction goes. Marvel does not mess around with Daredevil. It's always been one of the premier books, uh, so definitely excited to see that. Also, there's more X-Men Fallout happening with Children of the Vault number two. So Dennis Camp is writing. That's all I need to know, and I'm definitely going to be checking that out. A really cool play with Cable and Bishop being reluctant partners. Mm. Knowing their history, there's a lot of um, drama there, and I'm, I'm here for it. Also, there is an Avengers book that is coming out that's really gaining some steam, and that's Avengers, Inc. Hmm. So not really sure what is going on here, but I know Al Ewing is writing it, so I definitely want to go check that out as well. And one pick that is on Kickstarter, can't scream this enough, Inferno Girl Red Book 2 is winding down. It's got about eight days left if I'm doing my math right. So whenever you hear this, Make sure you go over that Kickstarter. Go sign up for it. If you need the codes, guess what? We have a QR code on every Nerd Initiative review this week, and I will be throwing up the QR code on odphpodcast.com. Make sure you go sign up for the book. The book is going to be absolutely incredible. We talked with Matt on a previous episode a couple weeks ago. Super excited about it. It's doing very well, but we would definitely want to make sure we hit that goal for him. So if you haven't signed up for it, can't stress enough, you need to go sign up for it. ASAP. That being said, always remember it's New Comic Book Day, so go hit up your local comic shops. Go give them some business. Go talk to some fellow fans. And really just embrace the fandom like you're going to be doing for Batman Day. Because seriously, there is no better place to be on a Wednesday than a comic shop talking with fans about comics. Enough said there. So for anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's all we got for this week. So for the one and only Padawan Jay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Ken. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. <laughs>